Mini episode 1234 of the FDH Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Uh, the match up next, Dr. Britt Baker, speaking of rehab, uh, she's going to need it. Uh, she was not in this match because she got grievously hurt on... Uh, the previous uh, edition of AEW Dynamite, which, uh, again, not good for her career, but I'll tell you what, if ever there was anybody that was made for getting through a prolonged period of time here, uh, I'm sensing back to those Randy News Network things in 2003 with Randy Orton, she will be an omnipotent presence on our screen during the rehab, doing her excellent character work, Jake Dickman. Fear not, the best part of her act isn't going anywhere for the next year. Yeah, I agree. say that uh, the, the one thing I can anticipate is her struggling to the commentary on crutches, but still managing to clutch a Starbucks cup to give it to Tony Schiavone. I'm calling that one already. <laughs> some point like she's one of these ones where i mean she's already borderline uh too funny to uh keep booing you know they're, they're gonna have to watch that as they go along uh because, much like jericho at certain times in his career where it was hard to keep him healed he's gotten better at that in his old age of managing to be obnoxious enough to where you still uh want to boo him and uh yeah Britt baker is being so entertaining in her role uh that uh it, it's borderline uh, it might backfire in that way. Uh, Penelope Ford was in this match, who I'm a big fan of. Never, never knew I had a real sunglasses fetish till Penelope Ford came along. But uh, <laughs> uh, she uh, she wears them well, shall we say. And uh, she was in this match against uh, the alien Chris Statlander, which, you know, in JR, at this point it's getting to be a shtick the way he's making fun of the gimmick and the Andromeda Galaxy and... Uh, it, it was kind of, there was a line in there that was pretty funny. I think Tony was asking her uh, if she likes science fiction, and she said, "No, I just like science." Well, that was kind of funny. You had to think about it a little bit. <laughs> but uh, you know, it was. I'll tell you what. She is she is super athletic. I mean, especially for uh, someone of her height, and uh, in terms of her moves. And you know, Penelope Ford is decent in the ring, but but not on the same level. And they had a pretty good match. And this is another one I alluded to it before with MJF. Like, you knew who was going over. I mean, the fact that Penelope Ford wasn't even on the card as of Wednesday, she's not going over Statlander. Uh, it'll, it'll be interesting to see, based on who the champion is now on the women's side, uh, if, if they push Statlander straight into the uh, 
the title mix here, uh, make it face versus face, uh, but they would definitely be interesting and entertaining matches. I gave it three stars. I thought it was pretty good. The, the next one up was the match that I was the lowest on of the entire card, but this would not be a surprise to anybody because it's a throwaway match that they just booked on the fly Wednesday night. Sean Spears, Dustin Rhodes, uh, it was the whole thing of Sean Spears calling him out. He was so cocky that he didn't even dress in his tights. He was out there basically in a quasi-suit type deal and uh, was out there and going to take the, the, the count-out victory. And uh, Dustin comes to the ring, Fs him up, strips him down uh, pretty near naked, and then uh, puts him away in the end. Uh, really kind of a burial of Sean Spears, the way that it went. But this is one of these things where, I mean, ever since the fact that he didn't come back from uh, that match with, with Cody, uh, it, it's pretty clear that, you know, they brought him in for that to be a one-off sort of early big opponent for Cody to get passed on his way up the ladder. And uh, he doesn't even have Tully Blanchard with him in his corner anymore, albeit the picture of Tully Blanchard on his underwear. That was kind of amusing, but, you know, I don't know where they're going with it. In, in retrospect, a big mistake to pair Tully with him because Tully should have been with somebody that they had more important plans for. Because at least the, the 10 gimmick was yeah, over. The 10 gimmick was really over. of the promotion where everybody fits in, I mean, he's not even like a heel gatekeeper anymore because he doesn't really mean anything. And they had to put Dustin over so that Dustin remains a babyface gatekeeper. Dustin's never going to beat anybody of any importance. He's just there to elevate the folks that are on their way higher up on the card, like how he put over Jake Hager on his way to the Moxley match. So th this whole thing was like kind of a waste of time. Like, how much, we, we've been conditioned to believe at this point that Dustin Rhodes, you know, they're not going to do the whole, oh, one one big world title, you know, push before he retires. They're not going to do that would, with him. I would love to see that. That if done right, it could be done very, very well. Where the whole thing be like he's doing the whole last thing, his whole goal is to win the world title. And they do a whole push for Dustin, and he goes up against the world champion, he puts his career on the line, he gets the championship, and it's yeah.
Yeah, and then all of a sudden, next thing you know, oh, and well, they have that stuff in their rear. And that's how you get up the taunt to the coach to come back or whatever into the middle. I literally just thought of that in 30 seconds. Dude, right. you, you just booked a genius storyline. That would be awesome. And the thing of it is, if they used, and I understand too, the whole sensitivity to the Jeff Jarrett comparisons with TNA and everything like that. They they didn't they already knew Cody was going to be pushed near the top of the card. They didn't want to do it with both of them. I get that, but Dustin could have meant more at this point. Yes, I know he didn't mean much his last couple of years in WWE, and by couple of years I mean decade plus. But still, this is a guy that can go out there and cut a promo and say, "I've been." U.S. champion, I.C. champion, world tag team champion on multiple occasions. I've been there, I've done that, I've held every title, six-man title if they want to go that far back, but I've never been the world champion. He's got a career where he could say that and be that guy, but I, I'm already, I, I think it might already be too late. If the Sean Spears win is the start of that, then this would mean something, but if they're not going in that direction, Jake, this was a complete waste. sat here, and by we, I mostly mean you, and booked out something that would be pure gold if they went with it, but that's, you have to take Dustin and use him for something, because again, we, we, we see what he could mean, he is still a guy who is capable of getting over, uh, and, and working that underdog role, both him uh, and his half-brother, they got their father's blood running through their veins, they know how to play the baby face, I mean, when I, actually, when I say that, that didn't really get to do much, anything in the WWE for the last decade plus, I guess I'm forgetting. I'm leaving out the Shield run in 2013. They were pretty awesome uh, when they when they got the tag team titles uh, from the Shield. That whole Rhodes brothers storyline uh, was really pretty good. But uh, we'll see where they go with Dustin after this. We'll see if they use him for more than they have. I have my doubts. Uh, next up was the women's title match. Uh, Nyla Rose in the course of doing the introductions here. Jim Ross with uh, and see. I caught this, and I have the kind of mind I do to where I caught the thing of what would be a faux pas if I think more people stumble on it. But he was trying to make the case of Nyla Rose being so all-around tough. But he said something like, you know, one of the toughest people there is regardless of gender. <laughs> I'm sitting here going, wow, if you're not careful, there's a fill-in-your-own-punchline kind of a deal. <laughs> Like they actually knew each other from the two one, not uh, in Washington. So she's 
celebrate everything and whatnot. I'm like, oh, that's cool. I don't know. I just, it's just one of those, it's just weird. It's just one of those things. Like, I don't know. Like, okay. They didn't acknowledge that she's treated on TV. They made no reference of that whatsoever. Other than that little jail. Right. My, my question is, and I think the answer, my, my answer is, is going to be yes, is do you think that the title change happened as a result of uh, Hanukkah of Europe passing away? Or was that always the plan? I believe that was always the plan because Kenny Mega is the one who the division. And he has an obsession with the, with the, with the Japanese. And I think, you know, kind of, uh, the unfortunate, untimely passing away of, uh, of Hana had part to do with this also. Because it kind of played up as being open for what it was. And I'm like, I don't really think that big. <laughs> like, I get what they were trying to do. I just think the majority, unless you're a die-hard purist fan, you know, if the word got out and around because of it, I don't know, it was just one of those, like, I think they took a situation, a real-life situation, and tried to make it part of the show, and that's part of what wrestling is, um, it just, I just feel like it was a waste of Nyla Rose, she's supposed to be this beast, and every time I see her, she wins, like, one match, or she wins the title, and then she loses every other time, she reminds me of Big Show in 2002, when he was jobbing in one-on-one matches with Jeff Hardy. Well, well, here's the thing, though, and I don't think this is necessarily Nyla Rose's last title run, although I got the sense they were pushing Britt Baker uh, way up the ladder quickly, so there, there may be, a, assuming Britt Baker might have gotten a title run in 2020, that might instead go back to Nyla Rose. Don't, don't think that we've seen the last of the situation there. I think that the title switch was going to happen regardless with Sheeta because and there is the situation with, with, with Hana and yeah they, they played it in and it, it felt a little ham-handed at the end particularly because uh, the, the, Hana's passing is so tragic and so it's like you, it's just first of all it's too soon to make it part of the storyline second of all I mean it's it's not in any way going to make anybody feel anything better about what happened uh, but I think the way it was going, with Nyla being the whole bully champion, stealing the kendo stick, hitting Sheeta in the head with, with the stick, like, they were building it, I think, to Nyla's got to get the comeuppance. And so I, I agree with you. I think this is where they were going all along. The highlight to me of the match, and I was telling it, I, I had a little social distancing cookout with a couple of the FDH Lounge dignitaries a little earlier today. and uh, I said this is one of the highlights of the card. I was explaining about the whole poker-themed type thing of the night. Uh, Nyla slamming Sheeta through the table and saying, always bet on black, is one of the yeah, great yeah, moments. I say that as somebody that's, that's not even, you know, personally that great of a fan of uh, the Nyla Rose uh, act, but uh, I, I gave the match three stars, I thought it went well, and I would just like to say also, too, that uh, since this came up, and it, it got worked into the match at the end there and the way they were presenting it, but uh, Hannah's passing, and, and this is somebody where I, I really didn't have really much to any uh, knowledge uh, of her, and uh, I'm, I'm not as big on the Japanese scene, much less Japanese women, although obviously I know how super talented they are, but just seeing some of her stuff afterwards, one of the things that is just so freaking unbelievable about uh, with, with, with the bullying with social media and everything like that is the capacity for I don't I'm going to use the term dysmorphia and mo that generally applies to 
uh, what someone thinks of their body, and I don't know that it necessarily played it here. It was more like what it made her feel about herself. But the dysmorphia of somebody who, such a magnetic, beautiful young woman, uh, all the way around, and, and such a sweet person as she was described by everybody, I mean, how the poison of social media could take an absolute gem like Hannah and see herself in that way just shows you the absolute capacity for poison in this world. It is such a sad, tragic story. It is just beyond comprehension. Yeah, and um, it's one of those things where, you know, there's so, so much bad that comes from social media because the Internet has to make it okay for people to be cowards, or not even cowards, rude, and just be like, oh, I disagree with you, and I'm going to tell you why you're wrong or... And it's like... Tell you this, and this is going to be contradictory to me. 
this might be contradictory to me agreeing with you on that, but I'll tell you what, had I known you were on a show with Dr. Brick Baker, I would have given you a crisp, shiny fin uh, to run up and yell in her face, Roethlisberger sucks! <laughs> <laughs> I know that. <laughs> You'd have done that for free, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. It was it was so funny about I think she worked kayfabe about this of remember the storyline of Cole going after Gargano and that he was like coming up to the gym the AIW gym uh, in Cleveland yeah. and everything <laughs> she tweeted something at him like hey jerk that's the place I trained at too <laughs> like that was pretty funny <laughs> yeah but that was. Uh, she was still a baby face at the time, I believe, so it was in character. But uh, you got uh, from there the the double main events as they were presenting it. They announced both of these as being main events. The first one was Moxley and Brody Lee, and it was a situation where, uh, again, I was very excited about this. Even if the storyline and the whole Dark Order and whatever left something to be desired, and even if you got the sense that they were pushing Brody Lee to the main event too soon just because of the aforementioned dearth of top heels at this point, hopefully this is a thing. I'm a little more concerned about his momentum than I am Lance Archer's because I think they're going to go out of their way to protect Archer coming out of this. He's still got Jake Roberts with him. He's still a hot act. Brody Lee's got is sort of a quasi sort of comedy act with him there with the Dark Order. I'm a little more concerned for where he goes from here. Uh, I gave the match three and a quarter stars. This is one where I really kind of thought coming in, it could be, and maybe I was a prisoner of expectations, maybe a four-star match. I'm looking at this like, boy, am I excited to see what these guys can do outside of the WWE bubble. And it was a thing where I felt like, it was more garbaged up than it needed to be, and it was a thing where, and I, I know Moxley likes working that style in a lot of his matches, but again, he's talented enough he doesn't need to rely on it. Brody Lee certainly is, because he's one of the best working big men, I, I would say, of the last 20 years. That's a guy, I've been so high on him, I was saying that if Brock Lesnar left in 2014, if he had, or 2015, if he had gone from WWE, I would have done whatever to, to, to put uh, Paul Heyman with, 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 with Luke Harper. That's that's what I would have done and pushed him to the moon. I'm, I'm a huge, huge Harper slash Lee guy, but three and a quarter stars, I thought it was a good match. Maybe I'm a prisoner of expectations. I thought with these guys, if they'd have trusted their capacity for wrestling a little bit more, I would have thought it could have been a little bit better. What do you think? Um, I agree with that. You know, I, I think it's one of those Moxie had to get the hardcore stuff in because he wasn't allowed to for so long. Uh-huh. It kind of reminds me of the kid that, you know, is going to drinking because his parents were, you know, were devout Christians and went to church on Sunday. Uh-huh. <laughs> kind of the idea is, um, yeah, you kind of hit the nail on, you hit the nail on the head there. And as far as with um, Brody Lee goes, Brody, I think Brody will be fine, only because, like, if you recall back a couple years, years ago where everybody got in trouble, uh, got to meet the WWE because they all took the pictures posing and, like, they were like, He just needs to get 
see something now you're bringing up Seinfeld here you know what Seinfeld character I want to see him do I want to see his reaction to this title loss on the next uh, AEW Dynamite I want to see a skit where he is eating a Snickers with a knife and a fork I want that to be his reaction <laughs> conclude this skit by having him say to one of the members of the Dark Order, thanks for mutton. <laughs> Just make him Seinfeld guy. <laughs> too is that and again they're, they're going to have to address what I was talking about before about something of an imbalance right now with with top heels versus top faces but I'm questioning whether and maybe they had to bring him in you know on the heel side in that way 
But he's a guy where, and I, and I don't mean any disrespect whatsoever to Lance Archer uh, or, or some of the other guys, you know, that you might be thinking of. MJF clearly should always stay a heel in the promotion there. But, like, I just, like, so many people, and this is a promotion that's geared a lot towards smart fans, right? Guys like me and you who know how awesome he is. Like, I wonder if that's not going to be an impediment at some point. Like, this guy's too awesome to boo. And where, you know, maybe, you know, his his real ceiling might be as like a rugged Mick Foley type baby face, you know, ass kicker type guy that the fans are behind. I, I, I wonder if that might not be the ultimate destination, assuming they have enough heels to carry that side at some point. Right. see him in that role, uh, eating a steak wrap with ketchup or anything. They, they, they did enough other of the BKM type stuff, but they didn't go far enough to do something like that. So, But, uh, you know, anyways, I, I hope that he still stays uh, in a good position after this. We go to the other half of the main event, which I think was the true main event when you look at the build behind it. The Stadium Stampede, the substitute for Blood and Guts, because they felt that this would go over better in the empty stadium slash arena era, and this is a thing where, and I wonder to whatever degree what type of ideas, and I'm, I'm not accusing them of being copycats, but when they saw how some of the WWE stuff went over well at WrestleMania, whether it be the acid trip weirdness of the, the funhouse, or more so, I think, the graveyard match with uh, Undertaker and AJ Styles, this was a thing where, and, and I guess you could even say money in the bank because that was done in a theatrical style. I did appreciate that this was not done theatrically. This was done, I mean, as much as you could call anything with Matt Hardy's character in it reality-based, but they were, you know, there was plenty of comedy and everything like that, but the fact that they weren't doing it as a film treatment, I did appreciate that. It had a lot of weirdness, goofiness. I did appreciate it, uh, and uh, again, I gave it four and a quarter stars on balance. It's, it's hard to grade this as you would any type of, you know, purely in-ring match. And when they were all in the ring, that to me was the weakest part of it, because the, the early brawling where they were all just brawling with each other was hard to focus on any, you know, kind of a thing here. As you're getting into the, 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 the segmented type stuff of Hangman on the horse, Hangman in the bar... Uh, the whole thing with with Sammy Guevara getting chased by the golf cart and ending up in the stands there uh, towards the end. Uh, to, to me, it was the individual moments. Matt Hardy in the Lake of Reincarnation or whatever the hell it was. Like, the, the individual the moments to me. Yeah, like, that's what made it shine. Uh, must be something in the water at, a, at the compound, huh? Must be. Now, when they did the whole thing, I'm like, this is stupid. But then they popped because of P1. I kind of, I popped. And I still thought it was stupid, but I popped. <laughs> uh-huh. Well. I was like, that's dumb. Ha-ha. Uh-huh. 
what's uh, what, what's Cornette going to have to say about this match? Do you think? <laughs> well, Cornette's going to shit on this show. <laughs> Because they, they they filmed it Friday night. It was pre-filmed. Meltzer said, so in that okay. in that sense, it was like how WWE did their stuff with pre-filming it. But it was, I mean, do you do you get the distinction that I'm talking about here as far as how it was treated? It was pre-filmed, but it was not treated as a movie the way that that was, the yeah. way that Lucha Underground was so often. Lucha Underground matches weren't, but Lucha Underground backstage was certainly supposed to be like a movie. The fact that this wasn't treated that way, like I said, any match that's got Matt Hardy's character in it alone, it's hard to call too reality-based, but they went in at least a moderately more reality-based direction than the WWE with this kind of stuff, and I thought it worked better. And then, like, uh, he has a shot of whiskey with Hager, and then they end up fighting, like, yeah. barroom style. That was pretty good. Uh, I can already yeah, hear... Uh, I can already hear it now that Cornette is going to be crapping on the, uh, whichever of the Jacksons it was off the goalpost with the whole... You, uh, and again, a match like this, you can't be sitting there like Nicky Nitpicker on exposing the business, right. but the whole exactly. thing of... Everybody making sure they catch him as he comes off of the goalpost instead of dispersing as any sane person would. Come on. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's just part of, you know, that's the biggest part of wrestling now, that everybody just does that. They just get her on a leash. You just kind of have to accept that this is what it is. Right. That was pretty cool to see who's back. That was less offensive than the stupid suplex spot thing. But, uh, yeah, you know, 
for this, because uh, it was an incredible finish. Uh, it was one where, not for the faint of heart, to be sure. I mean, I'm, I know they had to have the, the, the thing gimmicked all the hell at the bottom, but man, uh, it, that still had to hurt slash be very, very scary uh, for the amount of uh, height that was involved in that. The, they, they already tipped it off in advance as to how they're going to get their heat back slash Jericho have an excuse. The whole thing where it was funny about how uh, him and Aubrey Edwards did the thing about uh, the uh, under the hood with the replay and call a penalty and yeah. should there be a penalty like you know or, you know, or what or the pinfall was it was it a three count I think that was part of it as well so they already yeah, they, it was a comedy the spot play. oh yeah yeah I mean that was that was kind of funny you know just because you're in a football stadium you're going to challenge the play I mean that was that was kind of you know that was pretty good. 